Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, this is Will Preston from Black Lakes, and you're listening to Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks. Welcome back. It's Jay Scott, and it's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. We are slowly but surely approaching the holiday season, or we are, uh, if you include Thanksgiving, but we're really kind of bearing down on Christmas here in about another week. We'll be celebrating with families, and we'll be opening up gifts and sharing some laughs and some drinks and having a grand old time. So I hope everyone uh, is staying safe right now and enjoying these days here before the end of the year what a way the year started with no shows in january february march because things were getting canceled and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened in spring and uh man i've been to so many shows and it's been great year for on a lot of fronts and a lot of reasons but as always we are here to talk rock music we are here to talk music uh, once again, as I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts. Catch all my friends like Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast. We just did our sidecast, the Led Zeppelin Chronicles, we released our latest episodes after seven months of delays, and uh, it's on Led Zeppelin 3. So we go into a really deep dive on that album, it's track by track, and I mentioned the bootleg that's kind of associated with that tour on that album for you to uh, find and purchase if that's your thing. So check that out on Shout, Shout Out Loudcast platform. Don't forget to check out Martin Popoff, The Rock Historian, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek, Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, and Ron and Esty, Carmen Apiece, and Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast. Look them up on all social media platforms. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Pantheon Pods. Don't forget to check out the Hook Rocks wherever you stream your 
podcast. We are available everywhere. And don't forget to set your app on automatic download so you get the latest episode. We celebrated our three-year anniversary back in June. We've been doing this now for three and a half years and heading into 2023. We're also approaching the big 450, so that should be happening right after the first of the year, so we're excited about that. But we've had some great episodes recently. We just had Dorothy Martin talking about her music and the great album she released back in April, Gifts from the Holy Ghost. Fantastic album. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do and check out the interview with her. We welcome New Classic Rock in North America, talking to bands and artists that we think are going to be taking the next step in building their audience and in their popularity in 2023. We had Jason from All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast on, as well as Philippa Nazil of Thunder Mother, reflecting on the tour that Thunder Mother did with Scorpions through North America, their first North American tour. We also had my friend Fossil Man on the importance of the rock t-shirt and his collection, which is about 250 t-shirts that he purchases at shows. And he's one of those people that we all should be emulating with supporting new bands and artists. We also had Jordan and Taylor on the New Music Spotlight, as well as Matt Stubbs from GA20. We did our live album review of Judas Priest Unleashed in the East. And we'd like to welcome back our resident audio expert who's gearing up for another great episode. We recently did back in September. We had building a home recording studio in 2022, what you need and what you're looking for when you are doing that. Uh, A lot of studios or a lot of home studios were built during COVID because it gave them accessibility to record music and be able to do it remotely. So a lot of bands that have done that And a lot of new bands are looking for ways to cut costs, Um, like everything has become so expensive these days. So for bands out there that are really trying to find a way to record music without going over budget or trying to maintain their budget, this is a good way to really um, kind of find and and, and look at ways to do that with a home recording studio. Uh, Prior to that, he joined us on the importance of, of acoustics of sound acoustics and improving the sound experience in your own home. We've also talked about headphones and earplugs and a lot of other great things, how to build your own stereo system um, in modern day and what you what you need and what you should be looking for. And we'd like to welcome in, again, one of my favorite guests. We do this every quarter. It is Rob from at Skylab Tapes on Twitter. What's happening, man? How are you? I am doing well, man. How are you doing, brother? Doing good. You know, last few days of 2022, the last couple of weeks, we are, you know, finally winter has arrived, or so it seems. We had a little bit of a snowfall yesterday, and it's frigidly cold outside now, so winter has finally arrived here in Chicago. Yeah, it sure has. The uh, The only thing I'm doing today other than talking to you is playing records and watching football. There's <laughs> no way I'm going outside. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to go out a bit this morning, and I, had, I I said that first, damn, it's fucking cold of the season. <laughs> I was walking outside. So it's about 28 degrees right now. Um, there's about yeah, a quarter inch of snow on the ground. But uh, it is uh, foreshadowing things to come, as we all know and love the Chicago winters here. So we got about another 90 days of, of dealing with this. Yeah, that's for sure. We're going to, uh, we're going to, I'm going to go see my last concert of 2022 on Wednesday. We're going to see Trans Siberian Orchestra and it'll feel like Siberia out when we go because it's going to be like 18 degrees. Yeah. So I guess that'll be appropriate. The next 10 days, I was looking at the 10 day forecast and I'm like, man, it's going to be miserable. Although I should say, that I will be going to sunny California after Christmas through New Year. So I will have a little uh, bit of a break. You. Yeah. Well, Chicagoans would be wise to, uh, plan, uh, to, uh, plan to spend plenty of time, uh, spinning vinyl, which is, uh, what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of kicked around this topic for a while and yep. it's something that is really surprising in that. The, the resurgence of vinyl over the last 10 to 15 years has been a surprise for me because at, at some point it was more just for collectors. Um, and it was kind of, well, yeah. and audio, and we'll talk about this and, and audiophiles. I mean, there right. was, 
there was over there was over a decade where uh, maybe almost close to two where it was really audiophiles that kept vinyl you know in existence at all yeah. and you know that and but that dynamic is like we'll talk about that dynamics totally changed which is a trip yeah, yeah i don't know that anybody would have thought that we would sit here in 2022 with uh, you know vinyl on you know not just sort of a a, a cute little upswing, but like a very significant upswing, and we'll uh, we'll talk some of the exact numbers here. It's uh, it's remarkable. Yeah, and that's what we're going to dive into is really the the history of vinyl through the years, yep. through the decades to present day, and how it's changed in terms of who's buying it and who and who is selling it, um, and why they're selling it versus years. Yeah, ago. and why. Right. Yeah, yeah. Years ago, yeah. like like what it meant to music and how it all began. And of course, Rob is a, a great person to, to talk on this topic because he himself is a huge vinyl collector. If you've ever seen a picture of his man cave, it is something that most of us drool over and aspire to someday. So, um, why don't we dive into the history of vinyl? Yeah, let's get started and let's get started where it all started. Uh, you know, and, and, and vinyl, vinyl's been around a long time. Well, and in fact, we, you know, we have to, uh, you know, I have to even sort of caveat the word vinyl for a second, because really what we're talking about here are phonograph records, right? And, uh, and it's a, it's an important distinction because when records first came into use, which was, you know, in about the, you know, the 1900s, uh, the early 1900s, I should say, um, you know, they weren't made on vinyl at all. Uh, they were, you know, they were actually made of shellac. <laughs> um, and uh, they didn't start, uh, they didn't start being made of vinyl um, uh, until the 1940s. So, you know, there were, you know, there were four decades of records that people played, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, initially on uh, everybody's seen pictures, I think of old Victrolas, right. Where, uh, you know, it was literally, a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, the very primitive first version of a needle. In fact, it was an actual, it was kind of an actual needle, which is why they still call what is, uh, what plays records today needles, even though, you know, they're no form of needle anymore, um, of real needle. Um, and that was a purely acoustic system, right? There was no, you know, there was even no amplification of, uh, you know, going on there. Um, but it was, you know, it was a way for people to buy recorded music that had really never existed. I mean, you know, records were, records were the first significant consumer, um, music format to exist there, you know, there had been, you know, there'd really been none before that. Um, and they were pretty short, uh, you know, initially, um, and then in, uh, you know, what, what people think of now as vinyl is really technically the long playing record or LP. Right. And that came into existence, uh, in, uh, in the late 1940s. Um, and that's what, you know, that, you know, those are, those are 33 RPM, 12 inch records. And that's been, you know, essentially the mainstay of recorded, uh, music, uh, for albums now for, uh, for 70 years. Although, you know, it's obviously as we, as we, uh, hinted at and we'll talk more about it, we, you know, it, uh, it's been through some peaks and valleys. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's been in, you know, the LP's now been in continuous production for, um, uh, you know, pushing 80 years, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, just the, you know, just the format of what people think uh, about as vinyl. By the way, before we get any farther, I, I gotta, I gotta just put this out there for everyone who's listening to this show. The plural of vinyl is vinyl. There is no such thing as vinyls. That is not a word. That is not correct English. And that is not how we're going to refer to them. If you can, they can be LPs or records, uh, or albums, but there, there's no such thing as vinyls. So let's all just stop saying it now. (laughs) Oh yeah, it is. I, you know, it's just, uh, it's a, it, 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 obviously it is. So we'll continue to talk about vinyl whether we're talking about it in the singular or plural. All right. So anyway, um, you know, once, uh, once vinyl became the dominant consumer music format, uh, and, in the 1950s and, and, and I mean, really, you know, really started to be produced in significant quantity. Um, it was exactly that for a good 30 years. Uh, if, uh, for people who are interested in statistics, um, the Record Industry Association of America has all kinds of really great uh, stats on its website. 
uh, and it's, uh, uh, you know, there, you can do all kinds of manipulation with it. They have it presented in Tableau, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the vinyl sales of the LP, right. Peaked in 1978, uh, at about two and a half billion dollars worth of, uh, of in 1978 dollars, by the way, right. Of, uh, of LPs. That was the, you know, that was the, uh, that was the all time high year of, uh, sales of the vinyl long playing record. Uh, and what started to eat into that in the late seventies was the cassette. Uh, you know, people were interested in portability. You could play them in your car. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what year the first Walkman came out, but it was right around then. You know, you could walk around with them and, you know, things that were, you know, the real, big liability of records, which is that you had, they had to be played on a heavy, you know, relatively heavy turntable. And certainly were not the kind of thing that you could walk around playing. Um, uh, cassettes started to grow in popularity, even though the, the cassette itself was unquestionably and very clearly inferior in sound quality to, a, to, uh, to an LP record. Um, I, there, you know, the, uh, unlike, which we'll talk about in a second CD versus vinyl, which is a more hotly debated, uh, topic. Uh, you know, cassettes did not sound as good, but they were super convenient and super portable. And, you know, they started to, uh, they started to gain traction. They didn't have a whole lot, a uh, whole lot of time though, uh, before CD came out, right? Uh, they, you know, that was in the mid 1980s. Um, uh, and that's what started vinyl down a very significant path of decline. Uh, you know, the CD became, uh, the, you know, by the end of the 1980s, the CD was already the dominant consumer, um, uh, music format of choice, uh, both in terms of units and in terms of dollars. And it stayed that way, uh, uh, itself then through the 90s and, uh, and 2000s until, uh, CD itself started to have a significant decline because of streaming. Uh, and when that, you know, when that, and, and today, of course, we all sit here, you know, we've, uh, We've talked a lot about streaming and you've talked uh, about uh, from a sound quality perspective and you've talked with Christine Eagle uh, before on your show about some of the other uh, unfortunate bits around streaming. But it just, you know, looked at purely in terms of revenue. It's the, you know, it's the it's the big dog now and and stays that way. But what happened that I that I don't know that just like we said, anybody could have necessarily predicted um, was that. Sales of vinyl started to slowly pick up again, uh, around the end of, uh, uh, the, the first decade of the 2000s, uh, and have continued to do so. Um, and in 2021, of all things, um, sales of vinyl again surpassed the $1 billion a year mark in the United States, <laughs> which is, which is just crazy. Uh, you know, when you think about it, I mean, it was, it was you know, just a few years before that it had been, you know, a fairly tiny fraction of that. Um, 2020 was the first time since the 1980s, uh, when vinyl revenues in the U S were higher than that of CD. So it, uh, you know, it, it, uh, and, and it's, you know, it stayed there since in 2019, uh, vinyl was 43% of physical media sales in the U S and in 2020, it was 57%. And in 2021, it was 64%. So, uh, you know, it is the, uh, it is now for physical media sales. Um, vinyl is once again, the king, uh, here in 2022. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know that anybody could have necessarily seen that coming even you know, people like me who never stopped buying vinyl and who were grateful, uh, you know, for every vinyl reissue that we got and for every, and there were very few in the nineties and 2000 and then two thousands, um, you know, every artist that would actually bother to put their album out on vinyl. Um, uh, you know, there were, and there are still, you know, significant selling albums from the 1990s that have never been issued on vinyl, although a lot of them have since been reissued, uh, even though they weren't put out on vinyl at the time. So, uh, so, you know, the, all of that's happening. And, you know, what's incredible about what's happening now with vinyl is you, you know, you have lots of albums that are being reissued. You have lots of brand new releases that are being put out on vinyl. You've got the, you know, the massive, massive vinyl sellers from uh, people like Adele and Taylor Swift who are selling 30 million copies. Uh, and you've got, 
uh, you know, uh, albums uh, from a lot of the bands that we talk about on your uh, and other people talk about on your show, you know, where their vinyl editions are 500, right? Uh, you know, that's the total press run that they're doing, but they're still doing it, uh, you know, which is, uh, which is really cool. So it brings up the question then of, uh, you know, of why, you know, why, you know, why have we, why have we gone through our, and, and are going through, and it shows no signs of slowing down, by the way, you know, why are we going through this incredible period of resurgence, for, resurgence for vinyl and, and, you know, what's causing it, I, you know, like a lot of things, it's obviously multifactorial and I don't know that anybody will ever know, you know exactly why, but there are certainly some things, uh, you know, that, that, that we should talk about. So in the, again, and after CD took over, uh, as the dominant, uh, uh, physical media for consumers, there was a pretty significant, uh, I shouldn't say it was significant. There was an, an audible, a loud, uh, uh, rebellion against that by audiophiles. And, and, you know, there were, you know, mostly what existed in the nineties were audiophile reissue labels like Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs and Analog Productions and, uh, um, Simply Vinyl and, you know, labels that were doing, you know, nothing but putting out really high quality records. And as a result of that, I, you know, a lot of those records, which were made with such incredible care, really, really did sound great. Uh, and many of those are, are, uh, you know, those particular pressings are long out of, uh, you know, long out of print, but are still, uh, highly sought after. There was a, uh, there was a reissue series on classic records, which is a, uh, audiophile reissue label, which is sadly now defunct because they made some of the best records around, um, of the first four Led Zeppelin albums. They actually did all the Led Zeppelin albums, but there was a box set of the first four Led Zeppelin albums on, uh, um, uh, on, uh, uh, 200 gram vinyl, really heavy vinyl. Those are generally still considered to be the best sounding versions of any of those Led Zeppelin albums of any possible format of any era. Um, and while they very rarely appear, they will sell on discs for 10 grand. 10 so, grand. you know, that 10 grand for four records yep. okay. used by so- the way. The box set, not each, not the box set, not each individually, right? No, that's right. The box set of one, two, three, and four. Um, uh, the, uh, but there, you know, there's a lot of crazy and, and wealthy Zeppelin heads and, and those really are the definitive pressings of those four albums. Wow. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, there, you know, there were even in the dark ages of vinyl, there was some really great vinyl, uh, you know, being pressed. Uh, and audiophiles and, and I was certainly one of them, uh, you know, believed for a very long time. Uh, you know, that, uh, that vinyl sounded better than the CDs that were being made at the time. Right. And, and the early era of CD was especially problematic for CD sound. Um, so that was, that was partly why, uh, it was also a period, uh, you know, paradoxically enough, that was especially good for vinyl sound. You know, now, you know, if you looked at it in terms of pure sound quality, it's a bit of a tougher thing to argue against. Um, because, uh, you know, everything that's recorded now is recorded digitally. Um, and so it starts as digital. It doesn't start as analog and then gets converted to digital for CD, which was a big part of early CDs sound quality problems. Um, and in addition to that, even some of the reissue labels that are dealing with old analog masters were doing digital conversions prior to releasing the album, the albums on vinyl, which audiophiles, of course, hated. And, uh, one of the big audiophile labels, uh, Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs or MoFi as people, uh, tended to refer to them. Um, they got in a heap of hot water recently and it was all over the news, um, about the fact that they had been actually converting the analog tapes to digital and then making vinyl out of them and not telling anyone that that's what they were doing. Um, so, and, you know, still charging super premium pricing and really, uh, you know, positioning them as though they were all analog. So that's, you know, that's become more of a thing, but anything that's been recorded in the last two decades, at least with, you know, with a very few exceptions was recorded in digital. Um, you know, there were a couple of exceptions recently. Weezer recorded their album, okay, human entirely in analog, uh, which means onto analog tape. Um, red hot chili peppers did that with their last album. But for the most part, when you buy vinyl today, it's from a digital source. Right. There's no because the album was recorded digitally. There's no way around that. 
So, you know, that part of what makes vinyl sound better, uh, or, you know, whether or not it does, you know, isn't really a factor anymore, um, the way that it was when you're talking about things that were recorded in analog in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and, you know, then the other thing that's sort of a, a negative toward vinyl in the sound quality department is that, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, is, you know, the demand has meant that um, there's been a uh, rapid increase in the, again, in the number of pressing plants that have come online, but not all of those pressing plants are great. Um, and, you know, some of the vinyl that you buy these days, you know, is pressed at pressing plants that um, just don't do all that great a job. And, you know, the, the records are a little noisier and, you know, they're, you know, they're not, uh, uh, you know, they're not pressed as well as they are at some of the more audiophile oriented pressing plants. So all of that is to say that, that I don't believe that sound quality in absolute terms is a factor in the current vinyl, uh, revolution at all. Now, there is a certain sound to vinyl for sure. And, that sound can be preferred by people. I think I'm probably one of those people for either, you know, just nostalgic or other reasons. Um, and, you know, my philosophy on sound quality has always been, you know, if it's better to you, then it's better <laughs> as opposed to, you know, any kind of absolute, is it better or not? Um, but, you know, that, that to me is not, that's what kept vinyl alive in the nineties sound quality, but that is not what is, has driven the current vinyl, uh, resurgence for the most part, in my opinion, the act of playing records, um, of collecting records and of, of, you know, frankly, just looking at and having records, I think is a big part of what's driven the vinyl, uh, the vinyl resurgence, you know, big album art, uh, is cool. Uh, you know, the, uh, record players are cool for whatever reason, uh, but they are, uh, these days. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the actual act of collecting records is something that people of all, uh, generations, not just our generation are actively doing. In fact, I, you know, I couldn't, you know, my kids have been around vinyl their whole lives, obviously, but even so that doesn't necessarily mean that they would go for it themselves. Um, but my, uh, you know, when my kids are in their early twenties, my daughter's boyfriend asked for a turntable for Christmas. <laughs> He's in his twenties. Um, which I, you know, I think is not that, uh, I think is not that uncommon. Um, so I, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a really big part of what's driven it. I, I think one of the big factors is, is we talk about audio files and streaming. Uh, unfortunately, that platform doesn't allow the listener, the big music fan to display their music, right? Cause when we were yeah. growing up, you know, obviously we love music and we love buying music, but there was also like our altar of, of music, whether it was vinyl, oh, yeah. cassettes, CDs that we would display on a bookcase or on a dresser or wherever we displayed it. Cause that's what we oh, did. Heck yeah. We would display it. And now that audiophile and streaming has come along and basically taken that away. There is still that need for a human who loves music, wants to show people they love music and show people what music they love. And the collecting, the memorabilia aspect of buying vinyl these days, I think is really what drives the sale. I mean, obviously the limited edition and the splatter paint and the different colors of vinyl is really cool. And that's also, you know, a really cool thing too, as well. But I think it gives that person to show because well, we all agree that the type of music you listen to tells me what type of person you are, who you are as a person. At least I believe that. And when you walk in people's houses and you see someone with a vinyl collection or a CD collection, you know, you're like, this guy's going to be a friend of mine for life. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of that is yeah, it, by, that, by that collecting memorabilia factor. It's, you know, that's a great point. And I, and I, and I do think that that's true. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that's true. And, you know, people, you know, you'll see people on Twitter posting, you know, pictures of their record collection all the time. And you've got, you know, you got people putting them in, that's amazing dude, people putting them in record crates, just like we used to buy back in the seventies and eighties. Right. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I, that, there, no, there's definitely, there's definitely something to that. I mean, records, you know, records are, 
just very collectible and, and, and music enthusiasts, uh, you know, it, it is the, it is the most fun way to collect music in physical, in physical format because of the fact that, you know, they're big enough to look at and, you know, you got the, you got the album art and the liner notes and all of that stuff. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree with that dynamic. Um, the other, the other interesting thing that's happened though, of course, is that in the, you know, in the, in the era of streaming, uh, you know, and, and again, you and Christy have talked about how bad a situation that is financially for artists. I mean, essentially streaming is just marketing for artists. It's not, it's not a source of income. Um, uh, vinyl's the exact opposite of that. Musicians make more money from selling vinyl than anything else they sell besides mm-hmm. t-shirts. <laughs> so, and, uh, and significantly more than they make from selling an equivalent CD. Right. So, uh, you know, they're, so bands want to sell vinyl, um, and, and will, you know, do so if they possibly believe, you know, that they, uh, you know, that they can. Now, you know, you see a lot of bands that don't have the wherewithal to, you know, pay the record pressing plant up front, uh, doing Kickstarter campaigns for their vinyl sales, um, uh, in order to get the money, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to take it to the pressing plant to begin with. And I, you know, I've participated in quite a few of those and, and, uh, you know, they're, they've, uh, you know, they've come off great and, you know, happy to get it. Now it's a, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a long wait time. And that is, uh, you know, that's another factor we'll talk about here in a second. But I, I think that, you know, the, look, I mean, you know, bands can want to sell vinyl all they wanted. And if there was no demand, it wouldn't work. Um, but because there is demand, um, you know, and it is very profitable for bands compared to other ways in which they can make money. Uh, you know, they're, they're very willing participants in the vinyl resurgence at a minimum. Let's put it that way. Right. So I think that's a, that, I think that's a big factor. And, you know, that's the, but those are the two big ones in terms of what I see as fueling the growth. And then, then I, you know, the one you mentioned, I agree with as well. I mean, that's what's, that's what's put us where we are. You know, when you think you mentioned it's basically a billion dollar industry. Sure is just in the U S by the way, just yeah. in the U S. So for bands, and we've talked about this before and with other topics for bands looking to generate revenue, obviously the margin is thin with any type of physical copy of music, whether it's CD, whether it's vinyl, because you've got to pay to get them pressed. You've got to pay to do all those things. Um, but you, it seems to me that bands are making really good money on those things because you can charge pretty much, you know, between 30 and $50 on a limited edition run of vinyl. And then if you've got the paint splatter difference or the different colors of vinyl, that's always an extra charge too as well versus the regular known black vinyl that we all you know, are accustomed to. So, yep. you know, if bands are... And if you're really clever as the band, you'll sign it for an extra five bucks or so, Absolutely. right? Because that's just two seconds worth of ink and you get, you can, char- you can upcharge for that too, exactly. right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. this is a proven commodity where if you have vinyl and physical copy and it's a limited 500 run or, you know, this color we're only making 200 of or making 300 of this color or whatever. And you have them numbered. It's an, I mean, it's a no brainer why newer bands and artists don't do this to help generate revenue to help also generate a buzz because people are attracted to vinyl. And then when people post pictures of their mail call online, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, people see that like, Oh, that's an awesome looking vinyl. They may buy that vinyl, not really knowing your music, but that it looks incredible. I mean, I just bought a uh, Blackberry Smoke vinyl of their Rolling Stones cover EP called Stoned. And when I opened the vinyl, it was it was gorgeous. I'm like, man, this is a pretty looking vinyl. So there's a lot of different reasons yep. why people will buy vinyl. Some people may buy it, not even a fan of their music, but if they know it's a limited edition run and it's a considered a collector's item, and if they're a serious collector, they may buy it just for that. So, um, oh, there's no doubt. And I mean, you yeah. sell again, you sell nice looking vinyl signed at your gigs and people will, I mean, people will eat that up. Uh, you know, I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about that. That sells out faster than the t-shirts. <laughs> Going back to the early days of vinyls through the forties up through the seventies, you know, you mentioned pressing plants and, you know, this is something that I've seen and wondered about as I collect vinyl on discogs, which is going to drive yep. me to bankruptcy. Um, <laughs> I see different pressing plants for different albums. 
what does that, how did that come to be? What is that? And, and how do we decipher, you know, a good pressing plant versus a not so good pressing plant? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, when vinyl was in its heyday, uh, you know, there were in the seventies, right there, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the mid seventies, in the, you know, the biggest of years of, of all vinyl sales before cassettes started to eat into it a little, you know, it just, again, just in the U S you were talking about, uh, you know, in the neighborhood of 300, 350 million albums being pressed a year. Right. So it's a ton. And, and there were, you know, there every, you know, every label used, uh, you know, a significant number of pressing plants. And there were, you know, just as you said, if you look on Discogs, you'll see, you know, there are some, you know, there's some pressing plants that, you know, are listed by name that were considered to be, uh, you know, th- I think for the most part, they were considered to be sort of marginally better than others. It, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the same level that we have, uh, you know, now, which I'll get into in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, but the key is, of course, that there were just a lot of them, right? And then, as you would expect, those started to go offline and they started to dwindle, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, as vinyl started to become, uh, you know, more, you know, at first, first, a, you know, I guess a niche and then kind of a super niche product. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the smallest of years, uh, you know, vinyl sales were, uh, you know, I mean, they were, you know, they were selling just a few million, right? Um, uh, you know, in, uh, in 94, for example, um, in the U.S., uh, you know, two million albums, two million vinyl records were sold as opposed to again, 348 million in 1978, right? So, uh, you know, you don't need a lot of pressing plants for that. Um, you know, now in the resurgence, it's still nothing like it was in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of, of actual units, but it's, uh, you know, 2021 in the U S um, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, just about 40 million. Right. So, you know, it's gone up a factor of 20 since the low point. Um, and that's meant, you know, that increased demand has meant that you got to find a way to press those things. And so there have been a lot of additional pressing plants that have, uh, that have come online. The last, the last I saw, there were actually over 50, uh, record pressing plants globally. So, you know, there are, there are quite a few. There are a, there are a, uh, uh, a very few. Uh, there's a couple of really big ones like United. Um, and then there are cut, there are uh, a very few that are known, um, to be, you know, specifically very, very good. The most, uh, you know, the most, uh, I think well known of those is literally called QRP, uh, quality record pressing plant. Um, uh, you know, that are, you know, that are just, you know, their, their records tend to be expensive, but they, you know, they take very, very great care. But even all of that has meant that, you know, you do have delays and bands, you know, it, it means different things for bands and consumers, right? For bands, They'll have, unless they plan really carefully, your record's going to be ready before the vinyl's going to be available, right? So you have two choices. You can either delay the release of the record um, to match the availability of the vinyl as best you can. And there have certainly been, uh, you know, a number of instances of that. I mean, just in terms of the bands I listen to, um, uh, you know, the, the this year's, uh, uh, you know, reunion Porcupine Tree album was delayed um, specifically so that the vinyl could be available to match the vinyl so that the vinyl would be, uh, you know, would be concurrent with the release of the album. And that happens quite a bit. The alternative is to have the album available digitally and then sell the vinyl and then, you know, sell the vinyl as uh, when it's, when it's available. And what that has led to is, uh, you know, this situation where, you know, people are pre-ordering albums that they won't get the vinyl copy of for months, sometimes you know, seven, eight, nine, ten months. Um, and you know, that's a, you know, as a collector, that's a bit of a, it's put us in a bit of a quandary. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I feel this every time I see a pre-order, you essentially, you kind of have two choices, especially if you're talking about something that's not like, you know, the newest ACDC album or this year, I guess, Scorpions or whatever, some, some mega seller, right? If it's not that, um, you can either pre-order the album when it's available. Sometimes, you know, having heard one, or even none of the songs on it, right? But if you don't pre-order it, then you run a very significant risk of never being able to get it, or at least not being able to get it new or at, at you know at at uh, at the original selling price. You know, having to pay a premium for it on the used market. And there are plenty of examples of this: albums that have been put out, 
you know, just two or three years ago that now if you want to buy them on vinyl, the only choice is Discogs and they're like two or 300 bucks used. So, you know, consumers have to, uh, you know, they're, again, especially if you're into nichier bands, you know, when those pre-orders come up, you got to pounce on them um, and, uh, and, and, or, you know, run the risk of not getting it. Um, and that's all because of constrained supply, right? It's just because there is more, there is currently more demand for vinyl than the, even with all of the new pressing plants that have come online, than there is the ability to press records today. It's just amazing. Um, just how, how, yep. much it, how, how much the pendulum has swung from it being yeah. pretty much dead in the water. I mean, I remember going to record shows. They have these uh, every other month in Chicago. They've got uh, this one big show out um, in a suburb of Chicago. I remember going when I was in my early twenties, and you know, being able to pick up vinyl for three, four, five bucks. Um, and now you go, oh yeah, and you better have a couple hundred bucks to spend, and you're probably only going to walk out with maybe a handful of records. Uh, the price and you know because of the demand has become so outrageous and crazy, but that's just the way the market is. And I don't foresee it slowing down at all either. Nope. I, I mean, there, I, it, I can't right now. It's very difficult to see why it would slow down. Right. I mean, the bands love it. The fans love it. There's plenty of new hardware being made. I mean, there's no concern about, can I buy a turntable? Can I buy a, a phonograph cartridge? Can I, you know, any uh, tons and tons of hardware at all price levels, uh, you know, from very inexpensive to, uh, you know, to fairly expensive. And in fact, look, I, I've come to accept the fact that they're, you know, I see people posting on Twitter all the time, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing albums on their, uh, you know, $119 Crossley suitcase turntables. I mean, you know, look, that is the, from a sound quality perspective, that is the worst possible way to play a record. Um, but you know, if people are buying records and they're enjoying playing them on those things, great. Um, everybody who buys records is just more, uh, more reason to believe that we won't see another, uh, uh, you know, massive slowdown in vinyl production. And, you know, for me personally, that's something I'm very happy about. So, uh, I know all, uh, all different, uh, all different kinds of ways to play back records. Uh, you know, that, uh, and I mean, if you really want to go on the cheap, although this is probably harder than it used to be, you can go hunting garage sales for used turntables because of course, back in the heyday, uh, you know, there were, uh, you know, there were millions and millions and millions of turntables made. Um, and, uh, you know, while many of those have unfortunately probably found their way to landfills, there are plenty that haven't, you know, speaking of garage sales and what you were just talking about, you know, in the early two thousands, you'd go to a garage sale and buy records for a quarter. Easy, yeah. like big, like big ones, you know, Boston and Kansas and, uh, you know, yes. And ACDC and, and anybody who had, anybody who'd made, you know, who'd printed mass quantities of records in the seventies, basically, um, you were going to be able to go to garage sales and buy their records super cheap. Uh, and yeah, that, uh, that, you know, that, that dynamic has also changed, uh, you know, the, on the flip side, there's a ton more record stores than there were, you know, few, uh, uh, earlier this year, my, uh, you know, my daughter who lives in the city, uh, uh, in Bucktown, uh, you know, I went over, had lunch with her and, uh, you know, we could walk to six record stores from her house, from her apartment. Really? In Chicago? Yeah. In Chicago, just in that, just in that whole North Milwaukee sort of corridor area. Yep. Right. What do they call that? Four corners or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh. Yeah, we hit up a bunch of different ones. I mean, they're, they're, uh, it's, uh, it, part of the resurgence is more places to buy them. Um, and now are uh, you, there are, are more you talking, record stores now than ever. Are you talking albums? Are you talking, or, I'm sorry, are you talking new albums? Are you talking like vintage stuff? They, uh, every one of those stores had both. Okay. Um, uh, and I think most of them these days do uh, lots and lots of new vinyl. I mean, there were plenty of new vinyl, but there were, mm -hmm. and there were a couple of them that would, that emphasized that a little more. And there were a couple that emphasized, uh, um, uh, you know, used vinyl a little more. Um, but, uh, you know, but all of them had, uh, all of them had both things. And I mean, the one, uh, you know, reckless records on Milwaukee. I mean, that store is huge. It's like, you know, it's like going, uh, it's like going back in time, man. It's like we were standing in a Rose Records, 
right? Back in, uh, <laughs> you know, back in, uh, back in the eighties. It's crazy. One of the things you also mentioned too was the peak of vinyl in 78 and cassettes were, were still, were becoming prevalent then, or was it another few years before? Because I know eight track was really picked to be at one time, the format that would replace vinyl. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny because that had a run and it really was from right about then. It was from the late seventies to the, you know, to the, you know, through the mid, the mid eighties. I mean, you know, it existed before that and after, but that was, that was sort of its peak. And then it got, it just got, you know, cassette got walloped by CD really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there were now, I mean, there were a lot of cassette made, cassettes made in, in, uh, you know, in that period of time of, uh, uh, you know, when it was, you know, when it was very popular, but, um, but they, you know, they're, they went down, cassette went down precipitously when CD started to, uh, you know, started to really sell well. Um, because CD had, even more advantages than, uh, you know, than cassette did make a CD Walkman that really wasn't that much bigger than a cassette Walkman. Um, and you know, the big bummer about cassette, it's portability was great, but like any tape format, there was no random, tr- there was no, you know, individual or random track access. Right. So even with vinyl, you could just play one song. Playing one song on a cassette was a drag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, right? it, it really was. Lucky enough that, yeah. Unless you were lucky enough that the one song you wanted to listen to is the first song on the cassette. Um, uh, other than that, you know, not so much. I, I remember. So, yeah. I mean, the other thing too about cassette was it was impossible to make those things sound better unless you had like an, yep. an equalizer. Or if you had incredible speakers, but even that, so because it, it, it had so many limitations with it, you couldn't really do much with it. Yeah, and what's hilarious about that, of course, is that cassette is now also seeing a mini revival. That um, that completely, like, what? Are you kidding me? I know. I, I don't get it either. Uh, it's not. That has something to be for I the memorabilia purpose only. That has to be for the memory. I think that, yeah, totally. It's for the cassette generation. I mean, it really is. It's for people who actually dug cassettes for that brief period that they were there. But I do think that one of the things that's driven the, the mini revival for cassette is the cost and supply issues of vinyl currently, right? It, you know, they're, you know, where, you know, the bands that are selling cassettes, and there's a lot of metal bands that, 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 that are, that are offering cassettes, um, are, you know, are doing the, the, the very small runs, uh, you know, they're, the cassettes are like, you know, eight or 10 bucks. Um, and they are, uh, you know, I think they're doing that because it's easier for them to do that than it, you know, than it is for them to wait, uh, the time in which they'd have to wait to get actual records pressed. Now you make way less money. Um, but it does give, uh, you know, it does give at least a, you know, physical format offering that, uh, you know, if you wanted to do something other than CD, frankly, for me, it's crazy. But if I, you know, if I can't get the vinyl and it's an album I really love, I, you know, I will buy it on CD. I, you know, I have no, I have no dislike for CDs and CDs sound great. Uh, you know, they're it, the, it stinks that the album art's so small and I don't, you know, they're not as, they're not nearly as much fun to either buy, look at or play as records are. Um, but, uh, you know, I, they're, I don't think of them as being any, any, less fun to buy, look at, or play than cassettes. <laughs> in fact, I think CDs are more, uh, so just personally of, uh, of all of those, uh, of all of those things. So, um, the, uh, yeah, that's one that's a, that's one that for me is a bit of, a bit more of a head scratcher. One of the interesting things that you said was how streaming platforms are now obviously, you know, king of the mountain with the revenue they generate, but yep. It's how that revenue is defined. Back when vinyl and CD were kings of the world, you know, those were singular items being purchased once, right? Whereas Spotify charges whatever it is now, seven bucks, 12 bucks, depending on what, what option you have is reoccurring revenue every month. And it's not a singular purchase. It's, it's 12 times per year that you're making on an individual. 
So that revenue is really skewed in terms of what it what it's presenting and what it's telling, what the story that it's telling. Um, I, I would really like to see the breakdown. I, I'm sure they have it somewhere on individual users who use the platform, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, or Apple. And I'm sure it's in the millions. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, some conspiracy where it's not really what it is. But again, that is 1978. Vinyl was creating this revenue based on a singular product of a single purchase at a single purchase point. Whereas, you know, platforms, streaming platforms are taking your money out of your bank once a month. And whether you listen to two songs that month or whether you listen to 200, you're going to be charged the same every month. So, I, I, you know, I remember when they used to, I don't know if you still can on Apple, but I know you could purchase individual songs. Or you could purchase a full album back. In, I don't know if you could still do yeah, that. Apple, Apple, you still can. Yep. You can yeah, still I, actually buy them. Spotify, yep. you can't. You can't do that. Right. But, um, I would love to see a breakdown of that to see, you know, exactly how this is being generated and, and the consistency of, of users and, and purchases on these streaming services. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. And I, you know, I know they have this really weird and, you know, horrific formula by which they figure out how to pay artists for streaming. Um, and they certainly do say how many times individuals things are streamed. But exactly how they map that to what they're not what they pay artists, but like what the actual revenues are to your point assigned to that is, you know, is definitely a, is definitely kind of a mystery. And, and there's no doubt that, you know, that people, you know, exactly to your point with streaming services, people are paying for access to music. They're not actually paying for the music itself. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and, you know, the, the person that the person that casually streams a few songs a month. But, you know, wants to have that access is paying the exact same price to Spotify or Amazon or whoever, um, you know, that one who's literally streaming at their desktop, uh, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, I agree that they, that's, it's not clear the way it was, right? I mean, when you were buying an album from an artist uh, in some specific format, it was very clear, um, you know, and, and, and still is. Right. I mean, when you're buying vinyl or CD or cassettes of your favorite artists, it's still very clear exactly, uh, you know, what it is that they're, what it is that they're getting. I, you know, I, I really, you know, I really hope that the current trend at least continues and doesn't, uh, you know, go significantly into reverse, not only because it's fun for collectors, but because it, it does add, you know, another way to kind of, you know, interact with bands, uh, you know, brands and merch at shows than just buying t-shirts. Look, not all of us can be fossil man, right? I can't have 250 t-shirts. <laughs> that's, that's just not going to fly. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. you know, it's yeah. nice for me yeah. to be excited yeah. about going to a concert of a band I like. I mean, th- let me tell you, when we go to, when we go see winery dogs at the Arcada in March, I'm going to be there early for the merch stand and I'm going to be looking for that signed vinyl from those guys, even though I'll probably already have the album by then. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, obviously they, they don't make as much on a physical copy of music, but they do make good money on it and they oh, yeah. do, it does cause a, a little bit of buzz about the band and it does cause some excitement. Yep. About the band, I, I, you know, streaming services, and maybe someone younger than me can speak about it differently. But streaming doesn't really create the buzz, right? It doesn't really have people lining up for the record. Um, nope. I think when you have a pre-order of a physical copy of an album, like you're counting down the days till you know you're going to get it within a you know with you might get it like a few days before the actual official release you might get it a couple days after but you're excited like oh wow this is going to be coming this week i can't wait can't wait so it does create it's exactly that there's an excitement factor there yeah for sure yeah. i totally agree with that there is a there is an excitement factor there of something that you're you know that you're anticipating i the other thing i've seen and i even see this a little bit within our group and i'm guilty of it myself right it, you know is that there's so 
you know, there's so, there's so much music available by streaming that some of it takes on a more disposable aspect, right? You listen to it once, you thought it was cool, and then you immediately forget you ever heard it, <laughs> um, which I think is a bummer. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, there, you know, that's just not the same thing when you actually bring a, you know, a nice final record into your house. You know, you, you, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like unwrapping it. I like checking out the exact, uh, you know, look of whatever, you know, color or uh, pressing it was. I like putting it on the turntable and then I like sitting down and listening to it without other distractions. Right. Because it's a, you know, it's a, you know, it is a, it is a thing. Um, and I, you know, I just never, you know, I never get that from streaming. I will, you know, I, there are certainly occasions where I've streamed an album before the vinyl was available because I really wanted to hear it. Um, but I always reserve judgment on how I really feel about that, uh, particular album, uh, until I get it on the turntable. Yeah. I think it's, it does create that anticipation and excitement, you know, streaming is more or less, all right, it's dropped. Let's go play it. You know, and, and you've listened to it on whatever device you have, your computer, your phone. Um, yep. But yeah, I think there is that buzz and excitement that is reminiscent of those golden years where you had it on your calendar that this album was coming out and you, the anticipation kept growing each day and each day. And, and I think vinyl or, or CD that people are, are pre-ordering, pre-ordering is one of the, greatest you call it an invention call whatever you want but that pre-order is so important for the band on many fronts it kind of tells them what this record's going to do um and it also creates excitement with the fan base you know you can pretty much tell pre-orders like how much how many records you're going to sell where you're going to chart based on that so that's a that's a yep. really um, important thing, important element of the music business right now. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Uh, you know, I I don't know this for a fact, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if bands, you know, when they see how their pre order does, will make decisions on, uh, you know, what exactly the scope and size of their touring is going to be based on what they see from it, mm-hmm. right? So, and yeah, you get a you know you do you're able to get you're able to get kind of a barometer of things. So, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad that there are, you know, there are all kinds of different ways, you know, for independent artists who don't have a label to do this for them, um, to, you know, be able to use, you know, crowdfunding, uh, in order to get, uh, things in for pre-order, um, that, uh, that they might not have had access to before. Cause I mean, but, you know, get back in the seventies, you know, you weren't pressing your own records. Right. right. I mean, either you had a, you had a label deal or you weren't pressing records because there was just no way that that was happening. Now, you know, you can, you can go to Kickstarter, get your 10 grand or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, you know, go, uh, you know, go send it to the pressing plant and get your records pressed. And you didn't do anything except, uh, you know, convince your fans to give you a little bit of money up front. Fans get their records, uh, bands get their records. Everybody's happy. What, um, where do you see? Any improvements in the technology for vinyl in the future? Is there something on the horizon that you're aware of, or is it kind of still a wait and see? You know, the, 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 there's no question that one thing that has happened, which you would expect, and you know, this is, you know, we've, we've seen some of this, and I think we will continue to do, is the popularity of records means more uh, choice at different price levels and, and, uh, you know, more, especially more choice at the more affordable price levels for, uh, you know, for turntables and cartridges than you had when vinyl was a purely niche product, right? I mean, there were, you know, turntables, new turntables were expensive in in the, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, darker years of vinyl in the nineties and two thousands, you know, now there are all kinds of, uh, of, of options again. And it would be great if that, you know, if even that continues, I mean, you know, there are, you know, now you can buy a, a a really good sounding turntable and cartridge for you know about three hundred bucks. It would be great if you could buy a really good sounding turntable and cartridge for about one hundred and fifty bucks. Um, uh, you can buy a turntable and cartridge for one hundred and fifty bucks for sure, but there's compromises there. There's doubt about it. Um, so you know, we can keep pushing that price point down. 
um, you know, that will only continue to, I mean, it'll just to be, it'll continue to sort of feed off itself, right? You'll be able to get better and better turntables for, uh, for less and less money. And that, you know, that will always be a good thing. I think that's the, I think that's the main thing, you know, there have been a few little technological, they're almost like side routes for vinyl than, uh, things like optical cartridges and stuff like that. Um, you know, over the years, but fundamentally, you know, with record playback, you know, you're talking about a system of, of music playback that's been around for, uh, you know, about a hundred years with only a few major innovations. Um, there's not a ton of, uh, you know, actual technological innovation. I think the biggest bit of technological innovation at turntables in the last 10 years has just been the, um, uh, you know, the increasing number that come with built-in phono preamps and Bluetooth. Right. So that, you know, you buy a turntable and the, the thing is basically truly ready to go. Um, you know, you take it out of the box, you set it up, uh, and you know, you integrate it to whatever stereo you have. I mean, heck, you could integrate it to a pair of Bluetooth headphones that you had. Um, and you could start playing records. So, you know, that's been the, you know, that, and you know, what a, what a, uh, what a, what a, uh, amazing combination of old and new technology all in one package, huh? The turntable with Bluetooth capability. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know God. that anybody would ever have seen that coming. <laughs> like the Flintstones meets the Jetsons, you know? Yeah, seriously. That's exactly what it's like. It really is. Uh, you know, no one, uh, no one listening to records in the eighties would have ever understood what that even meant, much less that it would right. be possible. Exactly. But here we are. Well, Rob, man, it's been a, a pleasure as always. Um, love all the insight. Love the information. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Oh, it is always a pleasure. Nothing I like better than talking about vinyl. And uh, uh, glad to uh, have had the opportunity to be on the show again, Jay. Thank you again. And for all those listening, it is Christmas time. So if you're looking to buy some vinyl, um, I don't know if you'll get it by Christmas. But, you know, a, a person that likes records, if you're listening and you have a son or a husband, or a daughter that loves vinyl or an uncle or whatever, a gift certificate. I don't know if they sell them on Discogs, but something towards their vinyl collection or something that helps build their vinyl collection is always a very welcome gift for music collectors. That'll go over big. Yes. <laughs> yep, yes. That will, you will become big. their favorite whatever, <laughs> um, with that, uh, with that gift. So. But that being said, um, thanks again to Rob. You can catch him on Twitter at Skylab Tapes. Uh, always great information. Always going to great shows. Had some really good, good mail calls. Great, great, uh, man cave with his, uh, with his record collection and CD collection. So go, uh, go follow him on Twitter. Once again, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks. Follow us on all platforms. We're available on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. No TikTok. Uh, we do have a TikTok page, but, uh, we will not be doing any posting there just based on my opinion, <laughs> what a crap application it is for so many reasons, but write us a review wherever you're at. Um, and Merry Christmas to you and, and Merry Christmas to everyone listening. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay safe. Take care of each other. We will talk God soon. Thank you. Big 10 inch red band plays the blues. Well, band plays the blues. She just loves my big 10 inch record of a favorite blues. Now stop at jobbing. Now whip out your big 10 inch record up, man. The players are fools. Well, man, the players are fools. She just loves my big 10 inch record on my baby. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 